Could we get the moms to stand up before we start and just give the moms a round of, of, of applause, please? Thank you. Uh, it's no small thing. Uh, moms have one of the toughest jobs in the world, for sure, and sometimes the least thanks. So it's a huge, huge job. So I hope I hope you feel appreciated today and also encouraged. Um, Steve mentioned his graduation party coming up. Um, let me mention something else about Steve as well. Um, Steve Green was a unique fit, is a unique fit for our church. We had talked about a youth group ministry literally for years. And we would always come away saying we know what we don't want, we're not sure what we do want. And when we finally felt like there was a fit for that niche with, with what is a unique group at Lion and Lamb, uh, Steve was it. And he's just done, he's been a perfect fit for our group, for our needs. And Steve made a two-year commitment to us, and it's half done. And Steve should be headed to seminary a year from now. So you have a limited opportunity to express your thanks financially and verbally to Steve Green. And I would just encourage you again to support him in his ministry. And also you can pray because literally in a year, a year from now, we're going to need a replacement for Steve. And that will be no mean or small feat to replace. So... Uh, think about that, pray about that, and when you're giving to the church and looking at those, those designation boxes, consider some support for Steve there as well. Uh, two weeks ago, I taught on suffering, <clears throat> and you know, you never know where you're going to catch people. I got more response on that teaching than I think any teaching I've ever done on suffering. Uh, however, within a week, I had the opportunity to practice what I talked to you about in facing and, and my attitude towards suffering. Our basement flooded for the first time ever that week. So Bethany says, Dad, next time, teach on prosperity. <laughs> We're not quite on prosperity this morning, but we are on, uh, we are on something sort of along that line. Uh, we'll be looking at the theme of encouragement this morning comfort or encouragement. And I might say, this will be a short teaching. This is pretty much devotional in length, which means the service will run a little bit shorter. And so let me just invite you, especially if you don't normally contribute during open worship, we'll have a little bit more time for that, John, to contribute during open worship. So anyway, during the service, while I'm speaking or as we're worshiping, consider if God might have something for you there. We're going to be in Psalm 94 this morning, and I confess on the front end I'll read the whole psalm, but we're really only uh, getting to Psalm 94 for a few verses in it. That's specifically what we'll look at, as you'll see in a minute. Psalm 94, O Lord, God of vengeance, God of vengeance, shine forth. Rise up, O judge of the earth, render recompense to the proud. How long shall the wicked, O Lord, how long shall the wicked exult? They pour forth. They speak arrogantly. All who do wickedness vaunt themselves. They crush your people, O Lord, and afflict your heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the orphans. They have said, the Lord does not see, nor does the God of Jacob pay heed. 
Pay heed, you senseless among the people, and when will you understand, stupid ones? He who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who chastens the nations, will he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge. The Lord knows the thoughts of man, that they are a breath. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. For the Lord will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment will again be righteous, and all the upright in heart will follow it. Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take his stand for me against those who do wickedness? If the Lord had not been my help, my soul would soon have dwelt in silence. If I should say my foot has slipped, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Can a throne of destruction be allied with you, one which devises mischief by decree? They band themselves together against the life of the righteous and condemn the innocent to death. But the Lord has been my stronghold, and my God the rock of my refuge. He has brought back their wickedness upon them, and will destroy them in their evil. The Lord, our God, will destroy them. I know this is an odd text, especially for Mother's Day. This, uh, it's the cry under adversity, and then it's the appeal for vengeance or justice the verses we'll focus on, as you'll see, have more to do with comfort and consolation than the rest of the passage, though. Uh, this, this was written probably during a time in Israel's history when whoever's on the throne is not a good guy. And Israel had plenty of these, bad kings, wicked kings. And so this person's experience is there's, there's graft or there's wickedness or there's evil in high places. So that when I look around, I'm seeing injustice all around me, the murder of the innocent and the oppression of the righteous. And so the writer here says, what do I do and where do I go from help when those in power are evil and wicked? He knows, if you look at verses 14 and 15, he knows that eventually God's going to bring in his justice. So he says, judgment will again be righteous. And all the upright in heart will follow it. In other words, even though things are bad right now, I know there's coming a time when they're going to be better. But those times haven't come. And so the question becomes, what do I do now while injustice reigns and God hasn't brought in His vengeance, His justice, and His righteousness? What do I do now? He says in verse 16, Who will stand up for me against evildoers? Who will take His stand for me against those who do wickedness. So he knows he's got trouble. It's bigger than him. It's actually in a place of legitimate power. He doesn't know what to do. He knows it's bigger than him and he needs help. So he says, when he's looking around for help and saying, what am I going to do? He says in verse 17, if the Lord had not been my help, my soul would have soon dwelt in silence. If the Lord hadn't been my help, I would have dwelled in silence. In other words, when he asked the question, who's going to help me? Where do I go for help? What's a resource for me? 
when someone in power can oppress me and do what's wrong and I don't have any power within myself to do it, he says, the Lord is his help. This is quite a bit like Psalm 121. If you remember there, the question's the same. I'll lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where will my help come from? I'm going to lift my eyes up. I know I don't have the help. I'm going to lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heaven and the earth. You know, oftentimes in life, if things are going well, we feel like we're sort of up to the demands of life, especially if we're capable people or if we're stubborn people or if we're smart people. If life's sort of normal and things are going along okay, we kind of think that we can do things on our own steam and in our own power. But when your world gets turned upside down or when you experience the kinds of things or different things than this writer did, but where things aren't right and they're outside your span of control, where your resources don't measure up, then what do you do? And the truth is in life for all of us, uh, God has wired us and he's put us together such that life is going to overwhelm us. And we're going to see that we are finite and limited. And that's the way this is supposed to work. And so when these, these uh, become opportunities for us, these trials or these times when we're questioning, we're wondering what's going on, we're supposed to do the same thing the psalmist does. We're supposed to ask ourselves the questions, where can I get help? Life's too big for me. Where can I turn for help? And ask yourself this question. Let's say you go home this afternoon and, uh, I don't know, you find out something's falling apart. Your marriage, your life, the power's gone, your basement's flooded, whatever it is. What's your first thought? In other words, when you realize something in life's got to be taken care of, what's your first thought about what you're going to do? Uh, most often mine is, uh, it's kind of this heavy sinking feeling. Like, oh no, you know, there's something, my world's turned upside down. I've got to do, I've got to take care of something that I don't know what I'm going to do or how I'm going to do it. So maybe then I think about it. Or maybe it's the, the fight or flight. I'm going to stand and fight or I'm going to run away. But ask yourself the question, when trouble comes, when your world is threatened, What's your first thought? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to win over this thing. I'm going to take care of it. Or uh, God thinks that here's another opportunity to see you at work on my behalf. I mean, frankly, it should be the second. It should be that, shouldn't it? But for most of us, it's not. Because we're still kind of fighting life in our own way. We're still kind of fighting life on our own fuel, in our own capacity. The guy writing this song knows that he faces challenges that are way beyond his ability to do anything about. So he's asking the question, where can I get help? And then he answers his own question, the Lord is the source of my help. These next two verses are where I want to park this morning, verses 18 and 19. Um, He describes in his mind what goes on when something turns upside down. He says in verse 18, if I should say, my foot has slipped, Your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. Uh, Picture this in your mind. If there's uneven, icy conditions like in the winter, you know, if you get frosts and thaws and you get icy sidewalks, you know, you're walking along 
And you can feel if you lose your traction and your foot starts to slip, you know you're going down. And so you start, you know, the immediate response is to twist and turn or whatever. It's trying to avoid that fall. Well, the psalmist says that's what he feels like. My foot has slipped. I'm falling. I'm going down. But then he says, your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up. I don't know in your mind what would be helpful. If you could see a cushion underneath you, emotionally, that when, when my life is going to fall down, I'm going to fall apart, there's a cushion beneath me. Or there's a hand behind me. Or there's a hand on my shoulder. I don't know what would be helpful. But this guy says, I'm going along and I feel like I'm falling. Like I've hit that slick spot on the ice and I'm out of control and I'm going down. And he says, but when that happens, God is actually right there holding me up. I'm not by myself. I'm not alone. God's actually right there holding me up. A similar passage in the New Testament, and this is a really overworked story, but, but I'm going to use it again this morning out of Matthew 14. When Peter sees Jesus in the stormy water and he's walking across, you know, there in the boat, and he says, Lord, if it's really you, command that I get out on the water and walk with you. And he says, sure, come on. And Peter does. And he's walking on the water and then he sees the waves and he feels the wind, you know, and he loses sight of Christ for a bit there and he starts to sink. And Jesus reproves him and he says, uh, Peter cries, Lord, save me or I'm slipping or I'm falling, or I'm going down, Lord, I'm going under. Jesus says, um, you have little faith, why did you doubt? It just says he reached out and, and takes him. I think that's the same picture here. That the psalmist knows that even when it feels like he is going to fall down, his feet are going up, there's actually a cushion underneath him, or there's a hand on his shoulder, or God is right there so near that at his cry... Or when his foot slips, God's right there to hold him up. And that emotionally, we go through all these somersaults in our minds, something happens. Uh, plans, you know, plans go awry. We think life's going along okay, and then our foot slips, or emotionally something catches us totally by surprise. Imagine that. We feel like we're going down. This guy says, no, God's right there, and his kindness is holding me up. His hand's right there holding me up. He's as close as Jesus to Peter in the water. You feel like you're going under, but you're not. Because the Lord's right there with you. And he says it's his kindness. You know, one of the, the attributes of God that I love is his kindness. That if you look in the Old Testament, God describes himself as holy. That's the number one marker of his, his character. He says he's holy more than anything else. So, uh, but second only to that is... He says that he, is, he has this character of loving kindness. Your translation may say faithful love or something like that. This characterizes God. He is so kind and he's so thoughtful. He knows what's coming your way and my way. And so no matter what's going on, he's right there with you. And when you think you're going to slip and fall, the Lord says, no, I'm right there. I'm committed to you. I'm kind. I'm not going to let that happen to you. I'm going to hold you up. I'm going to hold you up. When you feel like you're slipping... The psalmist says, realize, nope, it feels like I'm going down, but God's right there in his kind disposition to hold me up. And actually, this is the verse 19. This is the only reason, frankly, that I'm teaching out of Psalm 94 this morning is this verse. I was so 
encouraged by this last week. Uh, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Uh, when I uh, read this, I think of, have you ever seen time-lapse photography through a microscope of a virus or bacteria growing? You know where you see there's only a couple and it splits and, and they speed it up so you go from one or two to this swarming mass? Well, that's kind of what's going on here with anxiety. That anxiety, it's not adding, it's multiplying. And you know, oftentimes in life you'll go along and some worrisome thought will enter your mind. And instead of cutting it off right there, you know, you entertain it. And that worrisome thought, what does it do? It, it multiplies. And it grows and it snowballs so that you could be going along fine in life and one little thing might happen. And in your mind, that one worrisome or anxious thought, it snowballs, it multiplies like that bacteria, and you feel totally overwhelmed. Your anxious thoughts multiplied within you. You just get sick. When this happens to me, I feel sick. Literally like the scripture talks about the life drained out of them. You know, it's just like somebody poked you and everything flows out. That's when it's killing. It's killing. But in contrast to that, this guy's been there. Your consolations delight my soul. I... I love the contrast. What I have is I'm filled with worry and anxiety. And God says, well, gosh, I've got consolations and I'll give you delight instead. Your consolations delight my soul. You can't have more anxiety or more worry or fear than God has comfort and consolation. And so there's one sense in which the worse you feel related to anxiety the more delight you can experience in Christ. So the lowest pit of despair you can experience, this guy says, to that degree, equally and greater, you can get God's delight. So that as your worrisome thoughts multiply, God's comforts or consolations are multiplying greater than your worries and anxieties. And think of this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.3 that your God is the Father of all mercies and He's the God of all comforts. He's the Father of all mercies. He's the God of all comforts. And that God is omnipotent, omniscient, and omnipresent. Which means that no matter how great your worries or anxieties or how deep the troubles are that you're facing in life, God's comforts and consolations are equal to the task. So that as you feel that worrisome thought burgeoning in your mind and weighing down on your soul, ask God to see His comfort and His consolations so that you can trade anxiety for delight. I love this turnaround. This and. You know, God takes death and He makes life. Well, He takes anxiety. And out of anxiety and worry and depression, He actually gives you comfort that produces delight instead. You know, and in this world, oftentimes, as you know, life's kind of topsy-turvy. Things are upside down. Jesus says, if you want to live, you've got to die. But also here, if you're in the, in the midst of anxiety, you're in a perfect spot to experience God's comfort and delight. 
And the question, of course, becomes, if that's the case, and it is, if that's the case, then why don't we more often feel that when we start going down that road of anxiety and worry? Why don't we more often feel this sense of God's comfort, His consolations, and that delight? Why don't those anxieties turn to delight more often? And I'm convinced it's for this reason. Simply because we're looking for our comfort, our consolation, the answers to our problems, every place but God Himself. Every place but God Himself. So if I'm looking to myself, limited resources, depression remains. If I'm looking for help from others, they're like me. They got feet of clay, they might be good at certain things, but they're never going to ultimately be the solution I need. So if I'm looking someplace else, it's no worry that if I'm feeling anxious, I'm not getting to the delight part. That I'm not getting that comfort and that consolation because I'm looking in the wrong place. If I'm looking to the Lord, he says that when those worrisome thoughts start multiplying, his comforts will multiply faster or greater. Kind of like an antibiotic to a bacteria. Doesn't matter how many come, I've got an antibiotic that's going to shut them down. Well, God's comfort and his consolation is available in that same way. I'm just convinced we're more often than not looking in the wrong place for our comfort. And this is why it's important, again, to ask yourself... When my trial comes, where am I looking for help? Because if I'm looking to Christ, it's readily available. It's there. It's abundant. And it'll overwhelm any anxiety and any fear I have. Listen to this out of Isaiah 51. I love this passage because it puts things in the right perspective. God says, I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you to be afraid? I am he who comforts you. Who do you think you are that you would be afraid? He continues, of man who dies and of the son of man who's made like grass. God says, I'm the omnipotent God and you're afraid of a blade of grass. This is what it has to do with other people. You've forgotten the Lord your maker who stretched out the heavens, laid the foundations of the earth that you fear continually all day long because of the fury of the oppressor as he makes ready to destroy. God says, if you would think for a moment, and if you would put this in perspective, you'd remember that the one who comforts you is the God who laid out the universe. And the people that you fear, they're blades of grass. They come up for a moment and they're gone. So, <laughs> I'm the one who comforts you. Who do you think you are to be afraid of someone else or something less than me? I'm the God of all comfort. Who are you to remain uncomforted? I'm the God of all delights. Who are you to be undelighted? It's a great passage. And the guy writing Psalm 94, he got that. And I think more often than not, we don't get it. Because we're looking in the wrong place. We're the ones Isaiah is writing to. Who do you think you are? Uh, Jeremiah was another prophet. Um, you know, we look back on guys in, in the Old Testament especially, and we think, man... I wish I was like so-and-so. Nobody wants to be like Jeremiah. Because Jeremiah, he was the prophet who lived right to the judgments that God had promised for generations, literally. Jeremiah's the last guy standing, sort of. So when God finally executes his judgment in Jeremiah's day, Jeremiah goes through all the judgment with everybody else. He gets, he gets lambasted, he gets talked down, he gets thrown in a muddy pit because he talks for God. 
He's part of the siege of the city of Jerusalem. He survives the siege of Jerusalem to be taken captive. He's kidnapped, really, by other survivors who flee to Egypt. His whole life was one of experiencing judgment, depression, if you will, tear water tea. He cried over the things that were going on. I mean, he had a hard row. But this is what he says in Lamentations 3. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and bitterness. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. I've had a rough go. It's been hard. And my soul is bowed down within me, full of anxious thoughts. Life's too big for me. I don't know what to do. I'm crushed by its weight. But then he says, this I recall to mine. Something comes to mind, and then I have hope that the Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, and His compassions never fail. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I have hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the person who seeks Him. It is good that He waits silently for the salvation of the Lord. Jeremiah had a tough, tough, tough life. And he feels the weight of it. It's not like he's just skating through. But he says, I remember something when I feel crushed by the judgments of life. And it's this, that God's loving kindness never ceases. And his mercies are like the sun rising. They're, they're there every day. That's the same God of the psalmist of Psalm, Psalm 94. That you can count on God's kindness, on his compassion, on his consolations. Always, but especially when life has slipped, when you've slipped on life, when you've taken a fall, or when it feels like you're falling, or when your worries are multiplying in your mind and you're wondering, how am I going to take care of something? This is too big for me. What do I do? You remember what Jeremiah knew. Verse 22, back in Psalm 94, says, The Lord has been my stronghold and my God, the rock of my refuge. Moms, especially just thinking of application. Uh, mothering is a tough job, very tough job, sometimes thankless, no doubt, uh, hopefully not always. But you're always, uh, you're going to be routinely facing uh, situations where you feel uh, taken for granted, underappreciated, uh, that the life, uh, the challenges within your own family's life are more than you can bear. And Jeremiah and the writer of Psalm 94, this is, these are the messages you can take home and bank on. That when, when it feels like I'm slipping, when life's not what I want it to be, when I feel weighed down with worries, I know where my help comes from. And it feels like I'm falling, but God's hand is right there. And He's committed to me in His kindness. And for the rest of us, life is going to throw you curves. There's no way around it. It's going to. And as I see faces in, in the church this morning, I mean, I'm thinking of things specific with, with all kinds of families here where things happen that you didn't expect. Your life is now not what you expected once upon a time. And you think, you know, what do I do with that? And, and how, how do I go on? And, and what does it look like? Where does my help come from? And I just say, remember this. Your loving kindness, O Lord, will hold me up your consolations delight my soul. Lord, on Mother's Day especially, I ask that your consolations and your comfort would be 
readily felt and would be great for every mother here. And Lord, I pray that you'd help the moms again commit their works to you, uh, even if life, if uh, parenting, if children, if those things haven't turned out the way they thought or hoped, help them commit that to you and trust that you will make all things right, you who do all things well. Lord, save us from ourselves in thinking we're sufficient for the challenges we're going to face in life. We're not. Lord, help us to honor you by reflecting on your greatness, by trusting you when our anxieties multiply, by counting on your loving kindness like a pillow underneath us or a hand on our shoulder, Lord. Lord, help us to be willing to look to you to trade anxiety for delights. In Jesus' name, amen.